Well, we're going to read together. I'm going to read for us from the book of Revelation, the very last book in the Bible. And today we have reached the very last sermon in our series on this last book. Will is going to preach for us in just a moment. We've enjoyed, haven't we, the glory and wonder of the Lord Jesus and the vision of the future and all that is ahead of those who belong to Christ. So let's savor these words again one more time. Revelation chapter 22 and verses 6 to 21. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Well, good morning. May I add my welcome uh, to David's. Uh, my name is Will Allen. I'm the assistant minister here. Uh, please do turn back to, to page five, uh, to the reading from Revelation. So here we are, the, the, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Um, I have wondered if John was kind of feeling the, the pressure a little bit. Uh, as he wrote it, because we know with great books, don't we, the culmination of them all, the, the finale of the characters, the different plot lines, it's a glorious thing, isn't it? You, it? It can bring resolution, it can bring new beginnings. And here with John, he's not actually just ending a story, he's actually ending a letter. Uh, right from the start, if you remember, this was a letter to the church, uh, to seven churches, to the whole church. It's for people. 
And it's a letter encouraging the church to, uh, towards holiness, to perseverance. And here, this is his conclusion, he, and he's drawing a few threads together. The structure, I don't know if you notice, it kind of rocks back and forward um, between uh, different themes. And we're going to look at two. Firstly, we're going to see how, what, that John's reminding us what kind of book he's written. And we'll see that's very important. And then secondly, we'll see to what kind of finale he then points us to. Okay. Um, so first thing, uh, as we get into this, this conclusion is this, that the book of Revelation that we've been studying for, for weeks now is the coming together of all of God's true word. Okay, right at the beginning of our section, verse 6, the angel says, these words are trustworthy and true. Now, we've seen that phrase a few times. It's only God's words, isn't it? Only God's words that can be said to be fully trustworthy and true. And John wants to remind us as well what kind of word it is. Listen again to how he describes God in verse 6. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets... It's quite an intriguing way to describe God, isn't it? Then in verse 7, he reminds them that this, reminds us this book is prophecy. Then verse 9 again, the angel mentions again the prophets and, and links them closely to John. They're his brothers. Now why? What is going on here? Why mention the prophets and prophecy so often? Well, John is reminding us that this book is, is the last step in the great prophetic tradition of the Old Testament. Uh, as David put it many weeks ago, Revelation is, is recycling the Old Testament. There's, there's nothing new here in a sense. J- just in this passage, okay, verse 10 talks about sealing up the words of the prophecy. That's from, that's an allusion to Daniel chapter 12. The way Jesus is described in, in verse 16 as this root and descendant of David, that's um, and this bright morning star, that's from Numbers and Isaiah. We've got other bits of Isaiah coming in here as well. Daniel, particularly Daniel, Isaiah, and Ezekiel have been the bedrock of the whole of the book of Revelation. Their fingerprints have been everywhere. Their images, their prophecies, their warnings have, have, have kind of been spread throughout this book like yeast uh, in dough. So, so Revelation is this, this true, it's this trustworthy word and it's the final drawing together of the Old Testament. But it's not simply the Old Testament, is it? Revelation, as we've been going through it, is fundamentally a book about Jesus Christ. You know, how, how did the book begin? Verse one, chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. How does it finish? Verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. So what he's done, he's let the Old Testament interpret the life and death and and risen life of Jesus. And he's let his knowledge of Jesus kind of work back and interpret the Old Testament. That's why we've got this strange verse in verse 10 of saying, don't seal up the words of this prophecy. Uh, um, Because in Daniel, the prophecy was actually told, he was told to seal up the book. But here the book is to be kept open. Why? Because Jesus has come. The end has begun. The prophecies are being fulfilled. The promises of God are blossoming in Christ. So as we build this picture, Revelation, it's the true word of God. It's the coming together of the Old Testament in Christ. 
and it's given to him. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness who testifies to these things in verse 20. And Christ gave it to an angel who testifies in verse 16. And the angel gives it to John who testifies and speaks of what he's seen and heard. They're testifying. This is legal language. This is this is saying this testimony is true. It's validated. It's confirmed. It's, it's certified. So revelation, this culmination of God's word in Christ, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the final testimony to his people. This, this is amazing stuff. You know, no wonder we've been blessed as we've gone through this book over these last few weeks. But also no wonder... In verse 18 and 19, there is this stark warning, I don't know if you noticed, of of tampering with the the word. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Actually, this this warning is very similar, again, to a part of the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy, where Moses warns people, don't mess with the covenant that God's made with us. Don't mess with the law. And so it is here. This this isn't saying, you know, don't, don't just tinker with a word here or a word there. Don't, don't take a cross off a T or or, or re-dot an I. No, it's saying if you tamper with this book, you're actually tampering with the gospel itself, with the full revelation, with the covenant of God. Because revelation is this culmination of the Bible's witness about Jesus. It's big, isn't it? Now, now before we, we see how John brings this kind of focus together, I want to just see what an impact this makes on our reading of the Bible. Because John is showing us that the Bible, although it has lots of human authors, actually just has one author behind it all, God himself. For John to be able to stand on the shoulders of these other prophets for these visions and is writing to draw the threads of the whole Old Testament together shows us there's one author to it all, one plan, one purpose. You know, Scripture, that means, should never be put against each other. No, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. We, we read Isaiah in the light of Revelation and Revelation in the light of Isaiah. We read Paul in the light of John and, uh, and James in light of the Proverbs. We, we, we read them together. It's a wonderful thing, this book, isn't it? Such rich diversity and yet one glorious whole. And John's also showing us that we, we, we've got to read the Old Testament in light of Jesus Christ. We, we've seen this throughout our sermons in Revelation. To, to try and interpret the promises to Israel as just promises to, to ethnic Jews misses the point that Jesus Christ has come, that he has fulfilled those promises, and in him he's building his church, Jew and Gentile. So we follow the way John interprets the Old Testament. We, we see how he does it and follow his way. And it also means God's full revelation of himself has come to a close. This, this book is our end to scripture. There are no more books added on. You know, we don't take the Quran or the, the, the Book of Mormon as God's revelation. No, because in Christ, through his apostles and prophets, this is God's word to us. Because it's culminated together in Christ. 
It's finished in him in this last book. But now, if John's been telling us that this this book is the culmination, well, how does John draw it all to a close? How does he finish the finish? Okay, like as we said, like a great work of writing. What's the pinnacle? Well, just come through these verses with me, okay? Verse 6, And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Okay, that's the focus, something that's about to take place. And what is it? Verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. It's about Christ's return. Verse 10, as we've already seen, this, this book shouldn't be sealed up. Why, verse 10? For the time is near. It's begun, it's coming, it's close. Then, then again, verse 12, Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. Then again, verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. How does John draw it all together? What does he leave us with? It is the soon return of Jesus Christ. The soon return of Jesus Christ. Okay, we'll look at both those. Firstly, the return of Jesus Christ, and secondly, that it's soon. Okay, firstly, Jesus Christ is returning. He's coming back. We've seen that through these last few chapters, especially of the book of Revelation. He's coming back to bring judgment, and he's coming back to make all things new. And as our biggest reward, we will see him. Verse 14 Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. So what's the blessing? It's to to get to the tree of life, to enter the city by the gates. Why? Why? What's so great about that? Well, it's because the tree of life means we'll be near Christ's throne. To enter the, the city means to be where Jesus is. Do you remember that from the beginning of chapter two that we saw last week? It said this, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. That's the blessing. That's why all of God's revelation culminates in this. We will see Jesus. Jesus, the one who's, who's fully God. Do you see that verse 13? I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's a title used by the Lord Almighty in chapter one. Jesus, he's the Lord of all creation, the God of the universe, the eternal Son of God, resplendent in majesty, holy, 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 and we will see him. And he's also the one who's fully man. Verse 16, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. This Jesus, he was born of a woman. He was descended from David, the son who would rule on his throne. He's the man who, who lived, who slept, who, who liked grilled fish. He, but he was also a man who lived a, a life of obedience, who died on a cross, rose again to new life. And we will see him. Jesus Christ, he's, he's where it all began. He's the Alpha, the beginning, the first. Prophecies culminate in him and are fulfilled in him. He's the root and son of David. Hopes of the world are centered on him. He's coming back. He's the end of it all. He's the Omega. He's the last. He's the, the, the end. And he's the end not just in time, 
He's, it's not just that when it all comes together, when he returns at the end. No, he's the, the end of it all in terms of purpose. He's the goal. He's the finish line. He's the, he, he's the result. And even more than that, he's our savior. He's the bridegroom who died for his bride to make all this happen, to make this possible. Verse 14 again, blessed are those who wash their robes. Now, this isn't an image of, of cleaning yourself. It's not an image of, of scrubbing your own dirty clothes, getting the spots out yourself. No. Back in chapter 7, a long time ago, we saw that actually these people have been washed, not in water, but in the blood of the Lamb. It's a strange image, isn't it? But it's the image of the fact that Jesus died for us in our place, the sacrificial Lamb dying Instead of you taking your sin on himself, why? So that you might be clean. And then he gives us his obedient, righteous life. So you see, he's given you the right to eat from the tree of life. Who has the right to eat from the tree of life? The one who's been utterly obedient. Utterly obedient to, the, to God. Where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. How can we have that right? Because we're covered in Jesus' obedience. He won it and he gives it to us. It's an extraordinary swap. You see a picture of it perhaps in, in marriage. When I married Mary, she got my student debt and I got her car. Okay? Christ took our sin and we receive his righteousness. What love. And he gives it to us for free. Verse 17, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Salvation, it's all from him. It's free. It's a gift. We just receive it. We can't earn it. We can't work towards it. We can't say to Jesus, look, I've washed my, my clothes a bit. Now will you accept it? No, he, he showers his love on us. This is the one we're going to be with forever. Some of us here today might be thirsty. You might be thirsty for Jesus. Are you, are you weighed down by your sin? Do you long to have your lives, your consciences wiped clean before God? To come to Christ as your king, to God as your father, then come to Jesus now. Pray in your hearts for forgiveness of your sins and trust him. It's free. And being his is the best thing in the world because we will see him. But for some of us, perhaps this morning, this free offer of the gospel doesn't sit well. Deep down, we actually look down on people who aren't as good as us. It's actually pretty offensive that Jesus would welcome someone, I don't know, who's been in and out of prison, has beaten their wife, scrounged off the state, that Jesus would let them walk in paradise or perhaps you think, well, actually it doesn't really matter how we get to God. We, my way, just as good as yours. Or perhaps you think, well, God's salvation just means I can live as I want now. The, the way I live my life, it doesn't matter at all. I can do what I like. Forget that Jesus is preparing a holy bride. Now, why do these things matter? Because rather than wanting everything in God's word to culminate on Jesus... You actually want to culminate on you. 
deep in my heart, I did it my way, sings out. Jesus is the star of the show, and yet you want to steal the limelight. Me first. This is why in verse 15, some people are outside. It's why there's a warning of tampering with the book, adding or taking away from the gospel. If we change it, then we're replacing Christ with ourselves. And actually, deep down, we know it won't actually bother us if Jesus Christ returns or not. We don't really mind if we see him or not, because actually it's about us. We're glad to see ourselves in heaven. If that's you, examine your heart. Examine your heart and let Jesus Christ capture you, your heart again, because he's the savior. He's the one we long to be glorified. And so if if Jesus has captured our hearts, then our hearts join in with John. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And then verse 20, amen, come Lord Jesus. Like, Like during a mighty storm, longing for the sun to break through the clouds and for it to shine again. Like a, like a marathon runner longing for that finish line to come. And so in the midst of all that's going on in our lives, may we long for Jesus to see him more fully in the future. And so also to, to know him in the present. If he's the goal, may he saturate our now. Then the, in the admin of life, I don't know, paying the bills, tidying the house, commuting to work, walking the dog, we'd be, we'd be deepening our, our relationship with Jesus Christ who we will see face to face. I don't know, as you thank him for a good day, as you weep with him over your sin, as you're silent before him in the, I don't, in the face of your future, may your hearts be growing to know him more. Why? Because it's him. It's our God and our Savior who's coming back and we will see him. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the culmination of God's word, Christ's return. And do you notice the time? Do you notice the time? It's soon. It's soon. It's imminent. Now, throughout Revelation, there's, there's kind of been a, a tension of soon, but also delay. If you remember, the saints in chapter 6 called out, how long, O Lord? They were feeling that delay. There's this idea of three and a half years, if, if you remember, an amount of time, but it's not forever. There's this delay, but it will end. I mean, John wrote a long book, didn't he? he a book that requires a lot of reading, a lot of thinking about. He, he clearly felt some sense of delay to be able to write it. And yet here at the finish of this book, it's soon, isn't it? The time is near. It's just on the horizon. John doesn't want us to kind of end with delay. He wants us to feel the imminence of all. For all Christians, he wants us to feel that Christ's return is soon. Whether you lived in the time of the Romans, whether you live in the 21st century as we do, or as whether perhaps a a, a thousand years from now, it is still soon. Let me explain that. That doesn't mean... Christ's return isn't going to happen. It's not jam yesterday, jam tomorrow, but never jam today. No, he will return. He will return on a fixed day. But, but the fact 
the, the truth of his return must sit on us however soon it really will be because we don't know when it's actually going to happen. In a sense, Jesus' return being soon, it's not about the, the actual time between now and his coming back. Is it a year? Is it 10 years? Is it 2,000 years? We don't know. No, no soon, it's a quality of time. Okay, to, to help you understand, let me explain. It's the difference between adults and young kids looking forward to Christmas, okay? Kids, you know it's Christmas soon, okay? Adults, we, we look at the calendar and think, okay, it's still summer. I don't need to think about Christmas yet. There's a long time to go. It, um, and, and then on the 24th of December, it's, oh my goodness, it's tomorrow, and I haven't sorted the turkey out. Okay, there's a real difference between how we think about it. Whereas for kids, whether it's summer or December the 24th, it doesn't matter. Christmas is there. It, it, it sits as a moment in the future, a moment of excitement that always pulsates in the present. For them, it's always soon. Christmas is soon. With Christ's return, we've got to change the way we look at the clock. We don't know the actual date of his return, so we, we need to let the soonness sit on us like a quality of time. John's finish to this great culmination of God's word is the soon return of Jesus Christ. But it's clearly not yet, is it? We're still standing here, sitting here. So how do we let this soonness impact us? And as we've seen, it's it's a heart that says, come back, Lord Jesus. Come back, draw in, make things new, finish what you started, judge this world. May we see you, come back. A heart drawn to this conclusion is one compelled to to stay awake in the present. It colors our present. It stops us getting preoccupied and distracted by things that don't matter. It, It draws our hearts to what will last. Let me try and make this more concrete. Um, I'm very thankful I'm going on holiday tomorrow. Now, now why should we go on holiday? Well, there's lots of different ways of answering that question. Perhaps it's to spend time with my children, to see some more of Scotland, to, to rest, to refresh my brain, to, to see my extended family. So, so how does knowing Christ, that he's going to return soon, how does that impact my holiday? Can I just switch off and just kind of not think about it for a couple of weeks and then remember it when we get back? Well, of course not. We'll, we'll, we'd always be putting it off. The, the, but here's a few examples. The soonness could mean I love my children, um, I love them knowing I'm preparing them to be with Christ their Savior, teaching them of him, letting them see how great a God he is by the way we enjoy his world and, and sharing what he's done for us. That the soonness could mean I, I rest properly because I know I'm not the Savior, he is. He's going to fix it all, not me. He's coming soon. I trust him, and I, and I sleep well. And yet this delay also means I, I change nappies and clear up toys and enjoy food and, and wash clothes and laugh and try and relax and be refreshed because Christ hasn't returned yet, and there, there may be a few more years left for, for me and my family to serve him in his strength and, and as, as God's children and and he still keeps giving good gifts to enjoy. But as each day ends, may I not just be thankful, but in my heart may I pray, come back, Lord Jesus. 
I want to see you face to face. I'm not home because you're not back yet. I hope that's a a helpful example because Christ's return being soon means we're patient, but we're also prepared. Life goes on, but it goes on with a purpose. We ready ourselves for his return. I don't know, perhaps it'll just impact your prayers this week. What's urgent for you? What are you going to pray for? Perhaps it might impact uh, whether you decide to get married or not. Deciding that his return means you, you want to focus on getting you and others ready for Christ rather than the, the good care for a spouse and children. It might impact how you, you use your money this week, how you invest it or, or for the future, or you save it or you spend it. It might impact your evangelism taking opportunities with friends rather than waiting just for another time and another time and another time that never comes. Because it's soon. It's soon. But the culmination of all God's revelation is in the person of Jesus Christ. We will see him face to face. And it will be soon. Christ says to us, surely I am coming soon. And we say, Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.